Hello, and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. We are one episode away from our five-year anniversary of Sounds Heal Podcast, and I want to thank you so much for listening for supporting this podcast series, whether this is your first episode or if you've been with me over the past five years. I really do believe that we have an important archive of discussions and explorations of this sound field. So thank you again for being with me. Um, I love looking back on the conversations and perspectives that we have explored. And I do ask you for for comments, for feedback. Maybe you have recommendations on someone you'd like to hear from or questions that you'd like me to explore. Please do reach out and let me know at soundshealstudio.com. Today, our guest is Dr. Jeffrey Thompson. And if you know the flow of my interviews, if you've listened before, I have a certain flow of questions. This one, we go beyond that. This one, we really do go with the flow and explore so many different areas. We talk a lot about what practitioners experience to bring them to the world of sound, the healing, the applying of that experience into our practice. And this journey from Dr. Jeffrey Thompson is really interesting. His background is as an artist, a musician, and a chiropractor. And he began to use precisely tuned sound frequencies to make chiropractic spinal adjustments and then cranial, cranial sacral adjustments with sound. And it was his work with influencing the autonomic nervous system of the brain with these tuned sound frequencies for healing that led him to sell his chiropractic practice and his home in 1988 and moved to San Diego, California to create a research center and clinic to explore the sound work full time. And he has devoted these decades researching the effects of sound on us, on our consciousness, brainwave states, entrainment, the autonomic nervous system, heart rate variability, Uh, hemisphere synchronicity, so many uh, fascinating things. He's really been at the top of this research for many, many years. He also has innovations like his patented neuroacoustic, vibroacoustic sound chair and sound table. And what I like in particular about his work, and I, I think this direction that we're really needing to go to understand our world, our consciousness, our awareness is someone that bridges the gap of spirituality and science, how those interweave and really pull things together. The importance of spirituality, of practice, what that really means and how it is now being shown in interpretable scientific method. And that's what Dr. Jeffrey Thompson does. So step into this conversation, this space, this perspective, And I would really love to hear your interpretation of this conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Thompson. This podcast is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa, located in Sarasota, Florida. The Ohm Shop is the country's largest showroom of vibrational 
sound tools, crystal bowls, Himalayan bowls, gongs, percussion, so many custom instruments. They have workshops, they have trainings, and most importantly, they are ready to assist you when you're looking for a particular tool to really up-level your practitioner practice. You can visit the ohmshop.com to see what they have going on online, or if you're in Florida, you can visit their luxury spa. Thank you so much to the Ohm Shop for their support, their sponsorship of this podcast. And thank you all again for listening and supporting Sounds Heal Podcast. Please enjoy this episode with Dr. Jeffrey Thompson. All right. Thank you, Dr. Jeffrey Thompson, so much for being here. I was just mentioning, I know you're busy. You have so much going on with your your work and research and and music making and so much more. So thank you for your time today. Uh, uh, Yeah, it's all a very exciting, amazing, good stuff. Uh, And part of the good stuff is doing these kind of conversations. I mean, the conversation needs to be out there in the world. We need to be talking to each other about what the heck is going on in this world of ours? I mean, you know, if if quantum physics is correct and <clears throat> it aligns very closely with the most ancient texts on the planet, the sutras of Patanjali, 4,000-year-old texts in Sanskrit, uh, the Upanishads, uh, even the I Ching in China, 5,000-year-old texts, are all talking about the same stuff that physicists are discovering about discovering about the nature of reality at the core of the quantum field that um, the scientific community three years ago made a public uh, press conference statement that the new view in science of the nature of reality is um, consciousness number one consciousness is a requirement for reality to exist. That that means that, you know, our little self-sentient life form here on Earth, stuck in the infinitude of space somewhere in a back corner of, of a third spiral arm of, you know, some galaxy somewhere, that if we aren't here witnessing the universe, the universe doesn't exist. That's for the scientific community to put that out there. That's mind-blowing because it means that the foundation of Newtonian physics, you know, Isaac Newton with the apple dropping on his head, that governs all of the math that describes physics, high school and college and PhD level physics and higher math to describe the universe and orbital trajectories and gravity and second law of thermodynamics and all the rest of that stuff that we looked upon as real the objective universe is not so. (laughs) That's that's a big one. That's a big one to swallow. I mean, it it means that in the Newtonian universe, if people aren't here, if if no sentient life forms are in the universe anywhere, there's still planets and nebula and all the rest of that stuff. From a quantum standpoint, if no people are here to witness it, it doesn't exist. It's It's a subjective, uh, projection 
of a collective unconscious expectation of what reality is. <laughs> we are all creating it. We are we we all at a at a at the deepest connection level of the subconscious field where we're all connected together into a single sort of consciousness. <clears throat> we all have our hand on the Ouija board. And that little thing is spinning around spelling out the next moment from now based on our expectations. So that's heady stuff. And it means that if that's true and that we create reality under the hood, not here, not, not, not who's listening right now who has no power, but this part who designed my body out of two cells and differentiated the tissues and makes it run on automatic and just, and deeper down at a collective unconscious level created a planetary ecosystem that I grew out of and a, a solar system level that the planet grew out of and a galactic level that the solar system grew out of that part of me. <clears throat> uh, that part of us decided that this world that we're currently living in, this really screwed up weirdo decision of a world that we created here for ourselves. Why? Out of all the infinite number of choices of what this reality could be, why have we chosen this one? Why are we manifesting it this way? And, you know, and the answer is in these ancient texts where <clears throat> If um, there's a there's a sort of a yin yang relationship with reality, and that's got to do with uh, if I am not if I am uh, as uh, some you know some of the esoteric traditions you know call people being asleep particularly the, uh, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff when he came over in the 20s, the first mystic to hit the U.S. with the ancient secrets and the esoteric stuff from the, you know, uh, the ancient, like, esoteric brotherhoods or whatever, um, that people are asleep. What that means is that we're automatons going through our lives and we think that that reality is sort of ordinary and that we're just ordinary people and it's just an ordinary thing and it's jobs and cars and rubber tires on on streets and <laughs> job descriptions and television and junk food and war um and that we're not magical beings on an epic journey of all time to find the nature of our soul where every atom in your body was once inside a star <laughs> and all the proteins and all the atoms on your body of the oldest particles in the universe. I mean, once you start to wake up to that fact that there's a magnificence shielded behind a willing hypnotized ignorance that makes me sick, that gives me symptoms, that gives me disease, my, my malalignment with my place in the universe. I've lost my indigenous self, my direct connection with life and through nature and experience and other people and 
community and love and <clears throat> respect for all living things. When we lose that, we are out of alignment with nature as a whole. The game that everybody else is playing except for us. And, and you don't screw around with the laws of nature because the penalty is death. <laughs> and so back to the ancient text where what's the solution to this problem? The solution to this problem is to wake up. First, you, you have to wake up from being asleep. And once you wake up and you realize what was called the terror of the situation, <laughs> um, as Kuchik put it, the terror of the situation, uh, to me, that, that's a t-shirt. It's like, um, waking up sucks. <laughs> because when you do, you realize uh, just how messed up it is and that you now have a conscious responsibility to do something about it. You can't no longer sit by. <clears throat> you can no longer just solve it by doing nothing and having palaver conversations in committee from now till doomsday until the earth goes right over the cliff. That those of us who have some level of awakening from our sleepness and have an inkling of what our part might be, because everybody's got a part that we have, each of us, a piece of the puzzle piece to make this change. Uh, that everything that we've seen in the past and everything we're seeing in the, in the quantum physicist view of reality now are, are sort of coming together at a critical moment and it's no accident because that's how the universe works. It, it pulls it together, it synchronizes it apart, it has a new rebirth and uh, um, you know, the phoenix comes out of the ashes of the old world and creates a new one. Um, our place is in consciousness that there's a, there's a conscious effort that has to be made that goes against the grain of entropy. So one of my live streams was all about entropy. This entropy in the universe, breaking things down to their component parts and the force of life working against that in a yin yang thing to assemble those component parts together into something living and something that can reproduce and make more living things. And those can make more living things. It's growing and growing and entropy is working against that to break it down and make you age and make you die and <clears throat> make you lazy. Personal entropy is, is uh, hitting the alarm on snooze. <laughs> <coughs> and not getting up and not making your bed and not doing the dishes and not taking out the trash and all the other stuff that you have to do. But there's a deeper issue, which is conscious labor and intentional suffering. That is intentional suffering is when I decide that I'm going to do the grunt work that needs to be done, even though I don't want to. <laughs> and here's in this case, the whole world is going over a cliff and <clears throat> the conscious labor and intentional suffering that we all have to come together as a conscious community who has a piece of that puzzle. We need to bring our consciousnesses together to impact and influence 
the vibrations in the quantum field that create what the next moment from now is going to look like. And that's the idea behind the hundredth monkey, <clears throat> a minimum number of people thinking the, the, the same idea or having the same idea makes that idea become manifest in the universe. So if you're not in active conscious mode, in a, in a state of goal-oriented visualizing what kind of world you want to have for yourself or for the whole world in its biggest sense, um, if you're not in that activity, you're passive. If you're asleep and you're not in that activity, then the universe becomes the active component. And the universe rolls the dice. And then my life becomes a series of events in which the universe delivers random events to me and I respond to those and that becomes my life. And some of those are good and some of those are bad and some are tragic, some are ecstatic, but it's just, you know, chance on a bell curve. As soon as I start to wake up to a certain point where I <clears throat> begin to consider what kind of a life do I want to have and what kind of a world do I want to live in and how can I uh, go about changing that? As soon as I get into that mode, I'm the active force and I'm putting pressure on the universe and the universe responds to me and becomes passive. <clears throat> it delivers whatever I want. So it's kind of the ancient texts talk about this, that, it's sort of like God comes to you and says, hey, you can have anything you want. All you got to do is ask for it without words before a thought. <laughs> this is the great kahuna tradition in Hawaii, um, the kahuna prayer. God grants all prayers. Therefore, your present experience is what you prayed for in the past. Prayer happens before a thought. It means... <clears throat> I can't think what I want. I have to feel what I want as sort of some kind of a altered state of consciousness visualization. And <clears throat> when you're confronted with that, when it's like, what do you want? What kind of world do you want to have? What kind of life do you want to have in your personal space? And most people come back with, well, I don't want to be poor anymore. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want to be sick anymore. That's not it. I don't want to be alone anymore. That's not it. I have to flesh out what health looks and feels like to me as a vision, as something of what would it be like if I was perfectly healthy? Let me imagine that until I can feel it in my heart. That's how you ask the universe for what you want. Um, so that's what the live streams were all about. You said you've been, you've been attending my live stream. So I do a live stream every Sunday at 1230 on a YouTube channel. Concept behind that is a, an experiment in consciousness, an experiment with, with a radical idea that has arisen out of what has been outlined in the ancient texts and outline on the present world by quantum physicists trying to explain the nature of reality. And uh, one of the easy ways to understand the core of it is 
<clears throat> the most uh, famous quantum physics experiment uh, that lended itself, uh, and it was the experiment by uh, Schrodinger, the Schrodinger cat paradox. So uh, this is probably a sophisticated audience and most people know, but some people always on a bell curve will not know. So I'm going to explain it um, without getting too heavy. Uh, Schrodinger was doing, you know, was working on the problem of what is the nature of reality at the deepest core of the quantum field. And <clears throat> what I mean by that is that my body is made of cells, cells are made of chemical compounds, those are made of atoms, atoms are made of smaller parts, protons, electrons, and neutrons, and those are made of smaller parts, quarks, and charms, and hadrons, and leptons, and you keep breaking them open, you get new fancy names on smaller particles, but when you look close enough at the particle at any of these stages, the particle appears to be solid far away, but the closer you get, the more you realize it's not solid at all. It's a vibrating field of energy that appears to be solid. It's sort of like the sand forming patterns on the metal plate with the sound coming through. Early experiments by um, uh, Hans Jenny in the 60s. Um, so we've all kind of seen that. Every frequency forms a new pattern. And so if you, you see these lines, and it said, well, it's forming these lines. But if you look close enough at the lines, they're not lines. They're dancing sand particles. And if you look at an individual grain of sand, it's made of chemical compounds, which are made of atoms, which are made of, so that's where this thing goes. And when, when you break the smallest particle apart at the deepest place you can go, there's, you break through into a field of energy that is vibrating and forming patterns of standing waves. And what's vibrating can't be measured because it's too subtle. Nobody knows what it is, but we can see its effect because it's forming patterns of standing waves. Something's vibrating, but we can't measure it. The ancient texts say that what's vibrating is consciousness itself. <laughs> that what, what they're calling now dark matter, because dark because we can't measure it. <clears throat> the ancients called consciousness. <laughs> and what is this vib vibrating pattern? It's an idea in the sort of the mind of the Godhead. What's the idea? This is the idea. <laughs> um, and and the, uh, so uh, Schrodinger now is finding this out in a math formula. And it's so astounding what he discovers that he wants to go tell everybody, but he can't tell anybody except other mathematicians like him because it's these equations. So. He creates what's called a thought experiment. A thought experiment is an allegorical story to explain something that can't be explained unless you're a mathematician, right? So, uh, so this famous one is Schrodinger's cat paradox. And that's a, a cat inside of a box that's got a lid on it. <clears throat> got a box with a lid. Inside is a cat. And with the cat is a bottle of cyanide with a hammer suspended above it. And if a random event takes place and the hammer drops, the cyanide breaks and it kills the cat. And if it doesn't, then the cat's okay. And the random 
the vent, let's say, is going to be, I'm going to shake the box, and maybe the hammer drops or it doesn't drop. And <clears throat> according to quantum physics, and according to what Schrodinger discovered, until I open the lid to witness what happened, until consciousness can arrive on the scene to witness, the cat lives in a living slash dead cat state of potential to be one or the other, but the potential doesn't pop into reality until consciousness is added to the mix. It's like baking bread. <laughs> so let's say that we do an experiment where I put the cat in, I, I, I set up the the cyanide and the hammer and I put the lid on and I'm a scientist so I, I note the time and I write it down and and then now two minutes has gone by and I lift the lid and I look inside and there's a dead cat and I'm going okay uh, that means that when I shook the box the hammer dropped broke the cyanide and killed the cat nope that's not what happened at all what happened was when I shook the box the cat entered into a twilight zone state of living dead cat, neither one yet, until two minutes later, I raise the lid and see a dead cat. I just now collapsed the field to a dead cat and created the past event. <laughs> uh, this, this is like crazy stuff, but if you can't translate the cat in the box to your present life, there's a scientist right here in San Diego that did that in a book called um, Star Wave. He's the physicist that was in that movie, um, uh, What the Bleep Do I Know, <clears throat> guy with the white hair. Um, and he takes it on. He says, let's apply <clears throat> Schrodinger's cat uh, paradox to ordinary life so we can understand it better. Um, and so now it's going to be the next moment from now. So now is the only thing that truly exists, right? It's outside of time and space. You can't think yourself into the present moment because you'll always be late by how long it takes for a neuron to fire a thought. <laughs> You're always late. You're never here, which means everything you think you are is an illusion. It's not real. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's an illusionary opinion or experience of something that just took place an instant ago, but it's not happening now. So the uh, next moment from now is the closed box. And I'm going to arrive whether I want to or not. And the lid's gonna fly off the next moment from now. And I'm going to witness <clears throat> and What's in that box is an infinite field stretching to infinity of every possibility that could possibly be for the next moment, all with an equal weight. That means that the next moment for now, we could be jellyfish in another dimension just as easily as my next word, right? Uh, the question is, why is it always my next word? Why, why isn't it jellyfish on Venus or something else? Why is it always a string of moment after moment after moment, word after word after word, me here, you there? And the ancients explain that in the ancient texts, um, that when consciousness arrives on the infinite field of all possibilities, 
moment after moment after moment after moment. It has an expectation. It's not a clean slate. Consciousness has an expectation based on my belief systems. And my belief is that I live in this body. I'm a guy. My birthday is on Saturday. I'm going to be 76. I'm 75 years old. I can prove it. Look, I've got junk. I've got photographs. I've got a son who can tell you that he's known me for 30 years. And I've got photographs from the past when I was a baby. And I've got all kinds of proof that this is real. That, and in reality, I'm creating all of that right now in this moment. And then persisting that creation moment after moment after moment. The whole world and everything in it, all my proofs get reborn moment by moment by moment to prop up this illusion that I live in this body and you're over there somewhere. Yeah. And in reality, I'm not here and you're not there. It's all one thing that consciousness is creating as a fantastical hyperdimensional movie with a pixel depth that you can't penetrate because it goes to a quantum level. <laughs> it's, it's this movie. And so if I was to shift something in my consciousness at the time when I'm outside of time at the, in the present moment where I stand on the, on the threshold of manifesting the, what the next moment is going to look like, that's a crucial pivot point, moment after moment after moment for me. And if I was somehow able to grab hold and control my consciousness before a thought in that field, deep underneath myself, and change my expectation, then the universe would say yes to that. Yes, sir. I mean, if the, the universe is now passive. When I put force of consciousness into the universe, it becomes passive. I become active. If I'm not engaged in that, the universe is active and I'm passive and I'm a cork floating around in the ocean, being buffeted around by crazy experiences the universe is delivering to me and my whole life is responding to. Right, right. And that's uh, how we get stuck in the stress and the multitasking and that we have no control, right? Just it, it's everything coming out of the system. Yeah, and, we're yeah. doing it to ourselves. So, so now if I want to change that and so to me that this is the um uh, the quantum field explanation for spontaneous remission how come i can have uh, you know an inoperable brain tumor that's going to kill me in three months and there's nothing anybody can do and tomorrow they do x-rays and there's no cancer it's just gone what the hell I mean, from a Newtonian standpoint, that's impossible. From a quantum and they, standpoint, and they think it's the wrong all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, think, time goes forwards and backwards, and things manifest and pop in and out of existence, and that's like daily duty for a quantum field. No problem at all. In a Newtonian field, it's like impossible. So that means that um, why do I have to get to a level of intensity? where my, I'm going to die before I can get that, before I can get that control and change. But it points out that it's an emotional level of intensity that is required at the threshold of the present moment 
to make that change. And that means that, that it's not just my consciousness has to go someplace, but my emotional space has to go someplace. And that's the key to it. Just imagining without the emotion, that doesn't work. And that is, it's sort of like the um, affirmation problem. Um, where, uh, you know, um, I'm abundant, I'm wealthy. I've got little stickers on my refrigerator and on the wall, so I see them. I'm abundant, I'm healthy, I'm happy. And my subconscious going, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. I know that's not true because I'm having this experience. So, no, when I, when I look at one of those and it says, I'm healthy, the reason I've got it there is to remind me that right now I could stop what I'm doing and get into a certain state where I could visualize myself until it hits me emotionally that I'm healthy. This is what healthy feels like. This is what it would be like if I was healthy. And the more I flesh that out and exercise that program, the more I muscle up my ability to shift the quantum field to make that happen. Um, now, it gets more powerful if we, uh, because it, uh, there's power in numbers. So now if we get a number of people together to, that's the power of prayer. Well, we've got one person in the middle with a circle of people around them praying that this person is going to get healed. And that's been measured, that's scientifically brought to scrutiny, that, that there is something that shifts there, something happens. Uh, or we can have, uh, we can all participate in uh, global Heal the Earth Day, right? We've seen those. We've all participated in those. We've all meditated and seen all kinds of highfalutin speakers uh, during the day, and we have a universal OM chant. It's, it's great. The problem is that it's not precisely focused enough to get the work done that you're trying to achieve. And uh, my, my point is that today we have the technology and the 21st century know-how that we've never had before in all of human history to measure what happens in the brain when I'm in certain high states of consciousness that we're trying to achieve and get to that makes it possible to shift the quantum moment, <laughs> right? So what does it look like when you're in a state of, quote, enlightenment or something in your brain? And those studies have been done. We know what EEG patterns look like in extremely high states of consciousness. And over here, we've got a, a new technological approaches of brainwave entrainment. We can use sound waves, light waves, electromagnetic field pulses, that are pulsing at a brainwave speed, it forces my body clocks to take my brain and want to align with that to save energy. It's an under the hood knee jerk response. My body will want to do that to save energy because that's one of the big rules the body uses to be healthy. And we can commandeer the brainwaves and take them from an agitated state down into this enlightenment state. Doesn't mean you're gonna get enlightened. It means that we're going to we're going to stack the deck in our favor for a favorable outcome. And now we've got a tool like to take your brain to a gym and exercise an enlightenment muscle in brainwaves until eventually something does wake up. Um, 
And the fact that we can entrain your brainwaves to any state we want, combined with the propensity of the body to constantly be under the hood, looking in the environment for drum beats to time itself to, to save energy. That's a phenomenon of coupled oscillators. And that's why when you are in the presence of another person for long enough and you have an impactical thing going on, that your heart rate and brain waves will start to synchronize up together just naturally. So if we get a group of meditators together sitting in a circle, then that entrainment thing is going to start to entrain the group together. And now we can scientificize that even at a distance without people physically together. That's what the, uh, by all of us listening with headphones to a common soundtrack that entrains all of our brain waves to exactly and precisely the same state. Now we've got the precision that has been missing in a global meditation where no two people of the 10,000 people that are doing that, no two people have the same idea what meditation is. No two people are going to the same state. It's like a herd of cats with good idea and a good intention, but it's not precise enough to make the change we're looking for. We need to combine the ancient knowledge with the present physics knowledge and all the new innovations of the 21st century and bring all that to bear at the same time, pull out all the stops, do whatever is necessary to um, avoid the flippant iceberg. <laughs> and there's no more time to sit around and, and have wishful thinking and maybe talk about it. There's time to do something about that. And that was the idea behind the live streams. It's a conscious experiment in attempting to do something to shift the quantum field, to get ever larger numbers of people involved, listening to a single soundtrack all at the same time, and flesh out uh, over a series of live streams uh, the idea of what is it that we're trying to achieve. It's not good enough to just say, oh, we want to stop the world from where it's going. That's not how you stop the world. You have to envision what kind of world you're trying to achieve and create and have no idea of where the world is right now. Never mind that. Because if you've got that image in your mind, that gets deposited into the universe and gets manifested. So you have to clean your mind, scrub your mind, come up with the vision of what life would be like on planet Earth if everything was perfect. Uh, and believe in it to a point where you can feel that emotion of what it would be like for, if everybody was pulling together and we all loved each other and we obeyed the commandments of every religion that has ever happened, which is love one another, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's empathy, right? Don't kill people. Don't steal from people. Don't, I mean, don't lie to people. Don't, it's the basics that we've all sort of lost. That's the spiritual moral compass that we need 
to reestablish in humanity. And technology is here to do that. Um, if we go one step more, then, <coughs> you know, I, I have this, um, the, the system that I use for healing with sound, uh, which is probably what you thought this conversation was supposed to be about. <laughs> you can't ever tell what the hell is going to happen, right? But the, um, there's a precision process where, so, so number one, it's well recognized worldwide in scientific and medical communities that the ultimate cause of disease is stress. Um, we know that to be true, that the ability of the stress handling systems in the autonomic nervous system inside your brain with the sympathetic, parasympathetic, fight or flight response, digestion response, um, <clears throat> that if that system is not up to handling the stresses coming at you, uh, then it makes you sick. It's called allostatic load in the medical profession. Allostatic load is a measurement of how intact is your stress handling system versus the stresses coming out you from the inside and from the outside world. And that measures your allostatic load, how much load, how much heaviness of stresses are there that you can be strong enough to handle. And if you get into a situation where you can't adapt to the increasing levels of stress anymore and they start to dominate, then the autonomic system goes into a permanent state of sympathetic on fight or flight response that never ends. And then it gets locked into that vicious cycle it can't get out of. And why that's devastating is because from a, a standpoint of normal, healthy physiology, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic branches of nerves, like the vagus nerve that comes down and the sympathetic comes out of the spinal cord <clears throat> and innovates everything in your body and tells it all what to do and gets signals back from it and tells it a certain, certain, its present state of balance and then sends signals down to adjust that balance until everything is perfect. Uh, that's a, a a purely perfectly healthy person is sympathetic, parasympathetic are in this idle neutral mode called homeostasis, balance between the two. I feel no threat to my life. So sympathetic doesn't have to turn on and empty the reservoir to fight for my life. And when that's over, it comes back and the reservoir fills back up again and the internal physician program works on its never-ending list of a million things to do to keep me balanced and harmony and uh, tissues rebuilt and all the other stuff that has to go on under the hood here that this part is managing. And if I have a meal, the parasympathetic turns on and it pulls the energy out of the reservoir into my gut and my elimination system and does that job. And when that job is over, it comes back. So I'm supposed to be living in this zero stress place where the internal position is doing its job. And if, I, if the stresses in my life get more than I can handle and the sympathetic turns on permanently, then the reservoir is empty 
the internal position program is disengaged, I'm in a permanent state of pulling energy from my gut, elimination system, immune system, and higher brain centers into my muscle to fight for my life, so I'm not really digesting my food properly. I'm not eliminating toxins properly, so they're building up in my tissues. I can't handle uh, healing the emotional traumas that are stuck in my subconscious because I've had to stuff them there because I can't deal with them because the internal position program is offline right now. <laughs> and all of my organs and glands and biochemistry and meridians are starting to drift apart from each other because nobody's there to synchronize their function. And once they start to drift uh, beyond a certain point, alarms go off. Symptoms, I have symptoms. Those are alarms going off. I go to the medical system. They do a bunch of tests. The tests come back negative because those tests are testing for pathology. We are not there yet. <laughs> We're at the physical discombobulation phase, <laughs> right? Where everything is functionally imbalanced and getting worse and more symptoms are firing off, alarms are going off and claxtons and the lights are twirling, but nobody's home to answer the call. And eventually these systems are gonna drift so far apart that somebody does drop off the cliff and does become pathological and does show up on the medical tests. And now you're into that system. Um, so uh, the innovation of of what I've come up with. So, so first of all, in order to measure allostatic load, the gold standard worldwide is something called heart rate variability. And <clears throat> there is a sort of a layman's version of heart rate variability. That's like the Fitbit watch and stuff like that, or a pulse sensor. It's all based on the pulse. And the medical level, which is um, ECG pads, electrocardiogram pads that can go on your wrist or on your chest that pick up the actual electrical activity of the heart that's in sharp focus now. Because a lot of events happen between the electrical activity and the heart muscle contracting and the blood going out through the arteries till they finally reaches your fingertip where the little sensor is that's measuring the pulse. There's all kinds of factors involved there. So it's not a in-focus picture. It's good enough to get a general sense of your stress levels, but not what I'm talking about. Um, so what I'm talking about is the ability to have somebody come in and hook you up to a couple of wrist pads. And on my computer screen, I can see your sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system live functioning moment by moment right in front of me. And now I can do a simple test to measure how intact your stress handling system is. It's called a gravity test. It's an orthostatic test. What happens when, when I'm standing up or sitting up like you are not right now, <clears throat> gravity is pulling the blood out of my head. To counter that, there's barometric receptors in my carotid arteries that sense the pressure and when it feels it dropping, it, it signals an alarm response. Sympathetic turns on, kicks the adrenals, raises the blood pressure just enough to equalize gravity, and that's normal function. 
So all of us walking around have a little bit of sympathetic tone and a little bit of higher blood pressure to counteract gravity. When I lay down on my back horizontally, then there's no more gravity stress. So the system should collapse that function. We should see on the heart rate variability, when you first lay down on your back, we should see some sympathetic tone in place. That's normal. And we should see it collapse down to zero homeostasis in the absence of gravity within about three minutes. And after three minutes, after five minutes, after 10 minutes, if it's still on and it's not responding, we have objective clinical evidence that you're screwed up and you're in bad trouble because you're running a fight or flight response all the time you can't get out of and you're burning up all your resources the internal position program's not in place and by definition i know you've got digestive problems elimination problems immune problems foggy brain and you can't sleep because your body is running a vigilance program. Your body is running essentially a fight or flight program that thinks that the saber tooth tiger is coming after me for breakfast. And it's not a good time to get uh, a deep sleep where I'm vulnerable and can't be woken up very easily. So that's why we have a chronic insomnia epidemic worldwide. People can't sleep. Um, so uh, once I've got this in place and I can see the sympathetic is stuck on, there's a sound frequency that is precise to a couple of decimal points that will push the reset button and break that vicious cycle and return it to homeostasis. <clears throat> and since I don't know what that frequency is, I've created a sound sweep program that sweeps every frequency from 50 hertz to 200 hertz in a loop up to 200 back down to 50 in a four minute loop and I deliver it into your body through a specially designed sound chair. Or so sound it's more like biofeed in rather than yeah. biofeedback, which a lot of the devices are biofeedback. This is actually looping yeah. it into the system. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, and it, you know, I hope I hope I, I don't get myself in trouble here, but I have problems with biofeedback and neurofeedback. And here's here's the problem that uh, when you study a medical level of anatomy and physiology, the design of the body is precise and clear. There are no mistakes here. There's no such thing as what's that pesky appendix doing there? We can't figure it out. Therefore, it must not have any function. How, what hubris and arrogance is that? That grand nature made some kind of stupid mistake? No. Later on, they find out that it's, it's the seed storehouse for the biome in case you ended up with some kind of horrible, you know, gut flu that wiped out the biome, you could repopulate it from the storehouse in this little organ. <clears throat> and on and on like that. Um, ah, you don't really need that gallbladder, let's just cut it out. You don't really need that thyroid, we can remove, you know, it's um, the arrogance of that is, is at its core based on the idea that the medical profession really doesn't buy the idea that 
that there's an inherent uh, force, an inherent biological organic intelligence that knows how to grow my body out of two cells and differentiate the tissues and make me everything I am and run it on automatic under the hood without me thinking about it and heal it on a million levels every day. You know, I cut myself and, the, and it bleeds and somehow the bleeding stops and it closes up and it heals with the scar and the scar drops off and what the hell just happened there? That force right there that you just take for granted is on a million levels inside your body all the time, healing up joint tissue surfaces and re because no damage is really done. The cells that are dying from friction are being reborn to replace them at the same rate so I don't need pain, I don't need inflammation. All this stuff is handled under the hood. Um, the body is mind-blowing. And, and so at a certain point when I'm in chiropractic school in Iowa, where you are, <laughs> um, uh, I'm struggling mightily to figure out how am I going to memorize all of this unbelievable level of information, the wiring diagram of the brain. You got to memorize it. <laughs> all the muscles, all the joints, all the origin and assertion points of all the tendons, all the cellular biology, all the biochemistry. I mean, it's like so much you can't believe it. And for me, the secret was illustrating it because I'm an artist. I went to art school. I've got a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. So that was the key for me. If I drew it, it burned it in my brain. Then I ended up selling those as study guides to fellow students, put myself through school as a medical illustrator. I mean, you never can tell what's you know, going to happen. But one thing that becomes clear in that moment, I'm thinking, wait a second, wait a second, time out. Didn't I grow this system myself? Why do I have to pay somebody and go to school to learn what I already did? That's because this part is intentionally disconnected from this part on purpose. The body did it on purpose for some reason. And even if we can't figure out right now what the reason is, that doesn't mean the reason's not there. It just means we're too stupid to see it yet. <laughs> right? There's a reason why they're not connected. We don't want the monkey mind to be screwing around with the big machine. <laughs> it's not its job to do that part. It's the autonomic nervous system's job to do that part. So if I use biofeedback and neurofeedback to take what's going on under the hood and feed it back into my conscious awareness so that I can learn how to manipulate the function of this from small mind, I am breaking one of the primal rules that the body put in place when it designed itself. And even though clinically that might help people, the big picture is it's working against something and there's always going to be ramifications and problems with that. In other words, I wouldn't want to have to learn to regulate my heartbeat with my mind. That would be insanity. I would spend all my time managing my heartbeat that beats 60 times a minute. I, 60 times a minute, I'd have to pay attention to say, okay, beat now, beat now, beat now, beat now. I want to make sure that the respiration syncs with that. So let's do both those together. I would have no time for anything else. And that's what the danger is in, ma in managing under the hood with small mind. 
real biofeedback, real neurofeedback would be keeping this part out of the loop <clears throat> and allowing the autonomic nervous system to have the information from the heart rate variability feed back into the under the hood mind so it can self-regulate in a different way. So that's one of the projects we're working on. But right now it's biofeed in. I'm watching the screen. I'm making sure this is working. I'm making sure that when that when we do this sound sweep through this into your body through this sound chair, and I'm watching your HRV display, you've got this locked in sympathetic on. And the sound is sweeping and untuning and untuning through this sweep of frequencies. And as it's getting closer and closer to the correct frequency that works for you, you can see the autonomic nervous system is liking it and, and collapsing its stress down more and more and more and more until it hits this point. And at that point, the computer program, which is watching this, captures the frequency that was playing at that moment pops it up and displays it as 128.45 hertz. And that's C sharp plus 23 on a digital keyboard because you can tune between C and C sharp on a digital keyboard by 100 steps with a digital readout. So we're accurate to a couple of decimal points. And now I know that if I play that frequency through headphones, through the sound table, that I'm going to get this in HRV, then I'm going to get balance in the autonomic nervous system. And now I can do that as a therapy. And I can give it to you to take home and listen to every day. And now right. we're going to the gym for your autonomic nervous system. Every time your ner nervous system goes here, it gets stronger to go here. It's burning pathways to be here. This and is it's getting by tapping into the body's natural reset, right? Rather than finding something Correct out there right. you've actually found their natural right. resonance that resets it's a, yeah it's a vibrational frequency that already is known hardwired into the body so the question now becomes what's causing this effect i mean it seems like science fiction how is it possible for me to lay somebody in a table with this hrv thing and play some frequency that would reset the master control system of your whole body with a sound wave. That sounds crazy. <laughs> I mean, not to those of us who are in the, steeped in the esoteric and holistic traditions, but <laughs> we go, oh yeah, <laughs> I knew that. Um, no, it's, it's um, because when we trace back what we talked about before, cells are made of compounds are made of atoms are made of smaller parts and at the at the core of the quantum field is a vibration forming a standing wave and each one of us represents a unique vibration in the universe no two are the same and that resonance when you really look at it that way the the patterns are patterns on top of patterns on top of patterns nested together mathematically based on the same laws of physics that we see operating in music theory, octaves and harmonics. Vibrational frequencies where the shape of the vibration fits mathematically with the other vibration where they all nest together nicely. That's what we call a chord on a piano, right? And notes on the piano are just vibrational frequencies 
that are fit together nicely mathematically. And we like that because that's what our deepest consciousness used as a rule to design our body, which is nothing more than an infinite number of levels of magnitude of standing waves, more and more and more standing waves nested together as you zoom back from the quantum field into a person. We represent an almost infinite number of nested mathematical standing waves. All of it is vibration. And all of it, for me, is based on a central vibrating frequency that these are all harmonics and overtones and octaves of. So, yes, of course it should work. There should be a frequency that can make it happen. And it could be a light frequency, or it could be an electromagnetic frequency, or a sound frequency that are all uh, octave links of each other. So this concept of octaves, where we get into the, the mathematics of music theory, where we have the law of octaves and the law of harmonics, where we, we have a wine glass, yes, pretend it's a wine glass, and we ping the wine glass, and it's got a note. And that note is its fundamental resonance in its atomic structure in that shape, density, and mass. And now if I'm going to sing that note, tune my vocal cords to sing that note, the wine glass will start to resonate sympathetically, the law of coupled oscillators, because they want to, to save energy. And if I could get enough volume in my voice, if I was an opera singer, I could shatter the wine glass. I could overload it with its own energy signature, so it can't contain its own energy anymore. But just before that moment when it explodes, the the atomic structure of that glass has now reached its highest possible energy state. And that we can do with your cells in your body, delivered through a sound chair, sound table. We can tune frequencies to specific cell structures and boost them to their highest energy state. And we know from neurophysiology or in physiology in general that that's what healing looks like in the body. When the body goes into a healing state, it the cell structures increase their metabolism, their energy state. We're just boosting them with sound waves into an energy state they couldn't achieve on their own, a super healing state. Uh, so it means that from one aspect, <clears throat> we might be resonating, when we're doing the sound suite, we might be resonating the either the vagus nerve that taps into the autonomic, the vagus nerve controls the system, or we could be resonating the little organelles inside of the hypothalamus itself, which is the origin of the sympathetic and parasympathetic, the anterior hypothalamic nucleus and the posterior hypothalamic nucleus. Isn't it cool I know all these big words? I paid a lot of money and went through a lot of heartwake, and I'm going to use those words whenever I can because I paid for them. <laughs> Uh, the origin of the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, which has a little branch that comes out, goes into the brainstem and exits, and we call it the vagus nerve at that point. Um, we may be resonating the organelle inside the hypothalamus like a wine glass. And I suspect that there's a certain level of deep unconscious pattern recognition where consciousness someplace in there knows exactly what frequency was used to organize this system and make it balanced. So it's pattern recognition of the right frequency. Um, 
whatever the case may be, that's another project on the shelf to figure out how do we research that? Where do we get the funding to afford use of an fMRI machine and a squid device and a $300,000 brain mapping EEG system to determine what's being affected? From a clinical standpoint, that, none, of that, none of that matters. What matters is that we broke a vicious cycle for you and your symptoms went away and you got better. Um, a scientific community calls that anecdotal evidence and poo-poos it. To me, that's the most important evidence there is. You got better. Um, uh, but there's an interesting phenomenon here now. Once we ping the wine glass, we could, you know, let's say that the wine glass pings at 200 hertz. If I sing 200, it resonates. If I sing 100, it resonates. If I sing 50, it resonates. If I sing 25, it resonates. If I sing 200 or 400 or 800 or 1600, it resonates. It's octave resonance. So we use the octaves downscale. The lower octaves activate the vibration sense network in your body through the sound chair. The headphones delivers the full spectrum of sound from 20 to 20,000. But our calculator will identify frequencies below 20 hertz, right? 200, 150, 25, 12.5. 12.5 is not sound anymore. It's a brainwave frequency just under alpha. Alpha is 7 or 8 hertz to 13, and this is 12.5. So now we, we have identified a string of exact brain frequencies accurate to a couple of decimal points that are precise octave states of consciousness of this frequency that made this happen. Beta, alpha, theta, delta, epsilon, gamma, default mode network, and all the rest. We've identified 21 different brain states that we work with. Um, and the EEG community is still stuck with four, the original four I learned 50 years ago. Um, well, some of them included, at least included gamma now. Nobody's included default mode network. Nobody's included epsilon that I discovered in 1989. Frequencies below delta that are associated with out-of-the-body experiences and precognitive abilities and sort of metaphysical experiences. Um, so that means that now we've found a direct mathematical clinical provable link between what's going on in the heart and the autonomic nervous system and different states of consciousness in the brain represented by brain entrainment frequencies, brain frequencies, which has started a 20-year program of research into the link between what's going on electrically in the brain and in the heart, because the law of octaves and harmonics is going to be operating there as well. Um, but it means that now we have the ability that if I can use brainwave entrainment, and in particular brainwave entrainment with binaural beats, right, uh, monaural beats would be pounding a, on a shamanic drum, boom, 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 boom. That's a monophonic sound source that's pounding at a brainwave speed that would change your brain function from beta down to whatever that speed is. And the, the speed that's most often used by shamans is about five hertz. That's theta. That's where I go when I'm dreaming. 
and I'm going to take you from a waking state into a deep dream state without going to sleep first. That's a classic definition of a trance state. And a trance state, and a meditation state, and an alter state, all of that is the same stuff. Um, so it means that I now have identified a series of hardwired brainwave states of consciousness that pick the lock of a program that make homeostasis, which is a prerequisite for healing. This has to be in place for the internal position to be in place using the energy from the reservoir to heal me. So if I entrain you to a beta or a theta or an alpha or whatever brain state that is an octave precisely, and I entrain you there, I can see the autonomic response balance. Even if I have no sound playing, just the two binaural beats creating that pulse, I have proved that each of these brain states unlocks a healing program at the autonomic level. So now we get a new insight into sleep that when my brain waves are slowing down through various stages in alpha, and then it crosses the borderline into theta and I'm in dreaming sleep, uh, dreaming sleep is emotional. And that means that that's where emotions are healed. Alpha is an internalized holographic mental function. So that's where mental functions are healed, self-defeating belief systems. Um, delta sleep, slowest brain waves, is where physical healing takes place because we know that lowest heart rate, respiration, body temperature, cellular processes, that's when the physical body is most quiescent, most difficult to wake up. That's physical healing and Delta. And now we have a tool that can pick the lock of a program and make healing happen in your mind, in your heart, in your body, in your metaphysical body, in your sense of self body, default mode network, in your grand um, uh, binding of all your uh, senses, frequencies and gamma, you know, the interesting thing about gamma, 40 hertz, highest beta before gamma was discovered was 30 hertz. Then they discovered 40 in open brain surgery because the, the higher the brain frequencies go, the lower the amplitude. So it couldn't penetrate the skull at 40. So you take the skull off and you put electrodes right on the brain. You can measure these frequencies, 40 hertz gamma, 100 hertz, 200 hertz, we're the only people in the world who've been experimenting with 100 and 200 hertz. We named them hypergamma and lambda. Um, they're mind blowing. I mean, uh, the Dalai Lama did a research project in 2001 at the University of Wisconsin with uh, a handful of his top monks who had been meditating for 30 years. They hooked him up to fMRI and fancy, you know, EEGs. Where is the brain? Where are these guys' brains going? Is there something special there? You bet there is. High amplitudes of gamma is what was present. And somehow they missed the they missed the fact that the amplitudes were high amplitudes, high amplitudes of gamma. They were able to pick up gamma through scalp electrodes. The reason gamma had never been discovered was because gamma Amplitudes are so low it can't penetrate the skull. What's going on here? Where Where's all the extra energy coming from to create high amplitude of gamma? When the rule is the faster the brain frequencies, the lower the amplitude. 
What's going on here? It, to me, that means that these monks in that particular state of meditation, the Tibetan, Tibetan Buddhist technique, are able to tap into a universal energy source, open the door to a higher level of energy source that is not my body. And now they've got all the energy they need to generate whatever amplitudes they need. And so that might give us a glimpse into the 100 hertz and the 200 hertz brain activity of Himalayan monks melting the snow around them or something. These impossible things that you can control your body temperature at will, you control your heart rate and respiration at will, you can control your sugar levels at will. Um, you're not doing it from here. This has learned. Um, just, yeah, amazing uh, stuff. And we can identify all those as octaves that makes this happen. So one thing that we see in all these research reports that all kinds of different meditation states that are extremely high, where does the brain go? One thing they all have in common is each one of them has a specific brainwave pattern. That means that Zen meditation looks different in the brain than shamanic journeying. And that looks different than uh, this Tibetan Bo Buddhist meditation. Each brain frequency you can identify has a meditation window that it creates with a different technique. Um, the, and the other thing is synchronicity of the hemispheres is always present. And the third thing is homeostasis is always present. It would have to be because uh, when you're running a fight or flight response, your brain is shut down. There is no possibility of the flowering of civilization or the appreciation of beauty or music or art or dance or anything except my survival. Survival needs must be met before the arts are born, before civilization can flourish, before meditation can take place. That if I can achieve this place in myself, my safe place, where I feel my survival needs are 100% met and I'm safe, I don't have to worry about anything. Worry drops away. Something opens up when I'm in that state in me. The windows and the doors of my soul open. And I have the possibility of journeying wherever I, my spirit needs to go. Um, and we can orchestrate that with science now. It's a whole new science of the evolution of consciousness where we and our technology work together to save the world from the technological world we've created that's destroying us. That's right, yeah. That's <laughs> Got a right. poetic Zen kind of thing to it. Um, and, and that's essentially what the experiment with the live streams is all about. Yeah, and what I'm kind of getting is, you know, in a way, we actually could find our own natural resonance that resets, that gets us to homeostasis. But because of all the stress and everything happening in our system. We can't. It's, it's too much yeah. mud in the water. Right. So you're, you know, our, we kind of have to remember that the present functioning of my body 
in its natural state, how it functions and how it self-regulates and how it times itself to the world and all the other stuff that goes on to keep me healthy was designed in an environment of 20,000 years ago. Uh, in other words, the, the body has the ability to morph and change. It's got the ability to adapt to slow evolutionary changes of a planetary scale. Earth is constantly shifting and changing and biological species have to change with it if they want to survive. But the changes are slow enough that we have the ability to adapt through generations and change our DNA that we pass to our offspring. They're the ones that change and their children change. And it's a slow, gradual process of dancing with the change of the world over a large time scale. But since you know, since the early 20th century with the Industrial Revolution, all of that shifted. The acceleration of the pace and the, and the rapid change of our environment has gone exponential. And then it became the information age. And the next step is going to be the AI age. It's, it's just accelerating beyond anything that our bodies could ever hope to adapt to. We need another 10,000 years. And it's in our face like now. And so, you know, I'm sitting in my recording studio here surrounded by, you know, $50,000 worth of equipment, racks and racks and big computers. And um, there's electromagnetic fields coming from the wiring in my walls that extend six feet out into the room. That's affecting my body clocks, which are trying to dance to that, but it's a part of that doesn't dance back. I'm being fooled into thinking I'm going to save energy by dancing with this partner. I'm getting fooled into dancing for both of us. So I'm using twice the energy that I thought I was saving half of. <laughs> That's stressing my system out. I go, I walk outside and I'm exposed to invisible radio frequencies I'm not aware of. 10,000 channels, AM, FM, shortwave one and two and three, military frequencies I'm not aware of, secret frequencies coming from 5G and my smart meter and all the rest of it, fumes from tailpipes and traffic jams and shit jobs working for an idiot boss who's got the emotional development of a three-year-old. This is sound familiar to anybody. And then it's back home to a rush for dinner and television watching the world burn. And tomorrow the alarm goes off again. That's not living. That's the 21st century marathon of stress for a body that was designed for a sprint. I was supposed to wake up with the sun and grab my spear and go chase some little animal. Then the sympathetic turns on for both of us and it's all over in five minutes, comes back. That's my work day. Now I got to skin the animal and make some stew and pick some berries and make some babies. And that's my work. That's my, that's my life. It's like, that is, that's what this system is designed for. And when we're faced with a marathon of stresses for a body developed for a sprint, the only survival tool that we've got in place is to run a fight or flight response all the time, just to bullnose our way through with momentum. That's our only option. Now we've got a new option. We can use science and sound technology to break that vicious cycle and put it back. 
take it to the gym and muscle it up until it's Arnold Schwarzenegger on the inside that's now strong enough to deal with the 21st century. We had to artificially input something to make it strong enough to handle where we are right now. And now combine that with the know-how of selected group of people on the, on the earth, the light workers, the people who are awakened to at least some level, some more than others of, and get a glimpse that I have a piece of this puzzle that I only can help with. And now is the time in the world that we're called to action to align what we know together in action, not talk. Um, so that's why I love to do these broadcasts because I'm doing my little part. There's no more time to be polite and no more time to sit on the sidelines and no more time to be um, spiritually passive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have yeah. to be we have to be spiritually active and we have to bind together with like-minded people and we have to get about the business of waking this planet up to its true birthright, which should be peace and joy and a grand, you know, 4.5 billion years ago when the earth was still molten <laughs> and it was cooling off and the weather patterns were first showing up and the, and the rain was coming down, and the little pools of algae, you know, a single cell little organism were showing up, right? And, and they're duking it out for the food morsels and battling it out, you know, in the primordial ooze. Something happened at some point in that. Something happened. Something clicked. These organisms all of a sudden realized that it's a survival advantage to cooperate instead of compete. So they started combining together in in uh, these um, symbiotic groups that became larger and larger. Pretty soon the two who joined together realized that if there was three or five or 10 million, the survival advantage increases. And eventually it crawled out of the ocean, became you and me. And so we are now these multicellular organisms that are forming this unbelievable level of synchronized uh, symbiotic action where they're cooperating together. And now it's us as multicellular organisms around the planet duking it out for the food morsel, which is now called money. We don't directly hunt anymore. We hire a hunter with a, a symbol. And now there's not even symbols anymore. Like it's a credit card. It's a promise. It's not even a gold certificate. It's, a, it's an IOU based on a belief system that something's got value. It's so crazy. It's, um, <clears throat> but, you know, we have the possibility. I, and what I see happening out here is that there's other people like me who are organizing things together. It's like a hub. There's other hubs that are rising. Uh, and those hubs, when they rise up above the fray, start to notice each other. And the next step is for those hubs to align. Um, that's how it organically grows from the grassroots up. It's not the kind of thing that any human being can organize from the outside in, because that's how the holistic world works. It organizes 
is a self-organizing system. It's not a hierarchic system that's artificial with people with titles and power over others. <laughs> it's a homogeneous whole that arises spontaneously out of the need of the moment, which is I see what's happening. There's a counterforce of the world going over the cliff. And it's an explosion of awakening. Um, and it's a joy to see it. And thank you for your part, because you're part of that. Here is you with your puzzle piece doing what you're doing right now. Having me and others who have a piece of the puzzle and presenting that to large groups so that they can be influenced. Um, so uh, blessings. <laughs> right, thank you. And let's talk about just briefly, just to bring us to a close about how you're trying to kind of bring in that brain um, synchronicity or global mind at the end of your live streams, since we, we've mentioned the live streams a few times, um, is some music that you're you're putting out there. Um, maybe yeah. just mention a little bit about the flow. And I think on your birthday, you're releasing something else. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, mention what those are, yeah. yeah so, so I'm currently um, creating a whole series of new sound, sound work. Um, the first one was uh, the flow and the flow state as a very specific brain state. And all of these are based on peer reviewed PubMed journal articles. Um, the flow state is now definitely the borderline state between uh, theta and alpha, which is somewhere around somewhere between seven and eight hertz, depending on which textbook and bell curve study you're looking at. Um, so there's there's that one we know that that when that people like tiger woods when he can hit a hole in one and it's just him and the ball but there's thirty thousand people standing around and there's 50 million people on television watching and there's like a hundred million dollars riding on this shot and how do you clear all that away it's a zen thing it's a meditation moment He's learned how to exercise that muscle. He's exercised how to clear it all out, clear the whole universe until it's just him and this ball. And he looks down the field and he says, I want this ball to go there. And he allows his unconscious quantum computer to make all the necessary calculations of muscle tension and wind velocity and distance ratios and swing mechanics let's all let's releases it all from here this part is saying oh no i don't know if i can do this or not well what what angle do i have to have no it's not done from here it's done from here so if i can release this to here my brainwave goes somewhere when i'm in that process everybody who has been measured who is a master of their field who can do the impossible and make it look easy goes to the same brain state it's the borderline state between, you know, uh, alpha and theta. And we already been working with borderline states for 30 years. We were the first people to come up with that. The idea that borderline state, the borderline state between beta and alpha and alpha and theta and theta and delta and delta and epsilon and beta and gamma, these are bona fide brain states of their own that have always been passed over. I mean, I'm, I'm now in the alpha state and now I'm in the theta state. I crossed over the bridge. Wait a second, that bridge is a thing. 
that bridge is a place of its own and it can be exercised and widened. Um, so that's what we built into the flow and we're gonna put a whole series of these out. Um, the next one is, so once we understood that, once I discovered epsilon below delta on an EEG study with patients over two years, I'm, I'm seeing this, uh, uh, I'm in training down to deep delta, which is down about one hertz to 0 0.5 hertz, one brain pulse every two seconds, very slow, very large amplitude. All of a sudden, I'm seeing the amplitude go right off the screen. And I'm realizing, wait a second, this looks like brain activity below 0 0.5. That doesn't, they told us that didn't exist. They told us this house had no basement. <laughs> and after that, Every time I saw that happen, that person would get off the table and go, you won't believe what happened to me. I was on the ceiling. I could see you down there on your computer. I could see my body. I went through the ceiling. I went home. I found my missing keys. Uh, you know, and people later are calling and saying, you won't believe what happened to me this week. I, I know I knew when the phone was going to ring. I knew when this was going to happen. I knew I'm getting these precognitive experiences like um, or spiritual epiphanies or in deep insights or and when I did, you know, global searches for anybody, you know, finding below delta brain activity, the answer is no. So I thought, damn, I discovered something. I, I get to name it. The next Greek letter down from delta is epsilon. So I named it epsilon. Uh, but the cat was now out of the bag. If I just found a basement in this house that they told us there was no basement, I wonder if there's a sub-basement. So I started experimenting with epsilon two, one half that frequency, one octave down. And then I started looking at beta. Gee, I wonder if there's something above 30 hertz beta. And then wham, they discover it, gamma at 40 hertz and 100 and 200. So that answered all those questions I would have been naturally asking. I wonder if there's an attic on top of this attic and an attic and a tower on top of that attic and, you know, and, and so then I'm thinking, okay, I wonder if there's something below epsilon two, right? 0 0.5 hertz delta is one brain pulse every two seconds. Epsilon would be one brain pulse every two to four seconds. And epsilon two would be every four to eight seconds. So I wonder if there's anything that's below one brain pulse every eight seconds. And that was default mode network discovery, the slowest brain frequencies ever discovered uh, using fMRI, um, one pulse every 10 seconds to 20 seconds. And so that would be epsilon three. That's, that's exactly where I was going. They discovered it, it's there. Uh, my, Intuition was correct that once I see the pattern of how the universe has put itself together, you can start to make predictions about where you know it's going to be. You know there's going to be frequencies below default mode network and probably frequencies above 200 hertz because the universe doesn't have a start and an end point. It's just our equipment. Can we measure it or not? Right. So. I started experimenting with frequencies, brain entrainment frequencies below default mode network at one brain pulse every 20 to 40 seconds and every 40 to 80 seconds, I called it IOTA. 
the next Greek letter. So now we've got iota one and two. That's one brain pulse every 20 to 40 seconds. That's extremely slow. Now we're getting into earth pulses, nature, nature respiratory rhythms. Uh, and so what kind of meditation state would that be? It would be reconnecting my indigenous self to the planet, to living life forms that work at a different scale. And then just uh, two weeks ago, uh, science confirmed that. They're, um, they have, scientists around the world have uh, noticed that there is an earth pulse every 26 seconds. That's within the iota range. So it's now confirmed. There's a mystery pulse in the earth every 26 seconds. Nobody knows what's causing it. They call it the Earth's heartbeat. Um, whereas the Schumann resonance, which is 7.83 hertz, which is an electromagnetic phenomenon, is at 7.83 hertz. That's the borderline between theta and alpha. It's the same zone where the flow state is. I put the flow state at 7.5, midway in between. 7.83 is the Schumann resonance. So I've created that soundtrack too. That will come out um, in a string of releases. Uh, but on my birthday, it's going to be IOTA. And that's the true seekers after truth, um, consciousness explorers who are willing to go into unknown territory of in training my brainwaves to this unbelievably extremely slow state that we know now is synchronizing up with Earth's heartbeat. That's pretty cool. I, I've got the cover if you want to see it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's IOTA 1 and 2. This will be IOTA 1.0. 1, I also have a cover for the flow uh, soundtrack. That's this one. So brainwaves, 7.5 hertz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so down here you can see iota brainwaves 0.0156 hertz wow one brain pulse every 26 seconds mm. well what's amazing is you know a lot of your work you've discovered from trial and error and experiments and you know getting any anecdotal evidence but then it ends up coming out science well, says some, many years of, later you know yeah, i mean some of it became deductive reasoning and you got to bear in mind that i've been you know i i'm both dr frankenstein and the monster <laughs> i've been i've listened to tens of thousands of hours of my own soundtracks as i make them as a recording engineer and a musician but then i listen to them afterwards and i've had all these thousands of hours of brain entrainment and synchronicity and that has opened up something in me it's opened up my abilities uh, to listen to uh, the voice to listen to the whisper that says you know there's a pattern here that the borderline between uh, uh, theta and delta is where you access long-term memory in the unconscious mind. So now we can revolutionize learning. No more memorizing. That's why I passed the California State Board exams with 96s. Um, 
And then I see an article, I have these news feeds that come through, so I keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. Uh, I usually see it quickly. So one of them was a study done of prodigy, high IQ children, you know, graduating from Harvard at 12 with a PhD, right? Those kind of kids. What, is there something different about these kids' brains? Well, yeah, of course you would expect so. So let's hook them up. Let's take, you know, X number of kids, a whole bunch of those kids, and let's hook them all up and see if there's something common. Yeah, there is something common. A borderline state between beta and alpha. Beta function is, you know, rational thinking mind, single focused, goal oriented. And alpha is the opposite of that. A holographic mind, peripheral vision, focus on everything. Um, you can do either one of those or the other, but you can't do them both at the same time, except if you've got a super high IQ. Then you dwell there. That's where you spend most of your time. And so that means that you could focus on a single task and be aware of the entire field at the same time. And the reason most of us can't do it is because it takes a huge amount of CPU power in your brain to do all those calculations. And if you don't have enough CPU power, then you can't do that. CPU IQ. But like anything else, it can be trained up. And if we know exactly that the borderline between beta and alpha is where IQ resides, we can entrain you there and increase your IQ, increase your brain's capacity for more calculations. Um, so it's so all of a sudden it becomes an extrapolation. Okay, I see the pattern. The the voice whispers bubbles up and says, you know, there's a pattern here you can see. You know, there's probably a borderline between theta and uh, alpha and theta and theta and delta and delta and epsilon and, and gamma and beta. And I bet you there's something beyond even those. Um, and now the newest research uh, in the last six months has been the discovery of brain frequencies that are not borderlines that work together. Gamma works with theta. So gamma is called the binding frequency, 40 hertz. It binds all the sensory information from my five senses in various locations into a single place and binds them together. So my experience out here makes sense. That what I see and what I hear align together and I know they belong together because it's being bound. But the process of how it binds it is cool. The, the 40 hertz gamma modulates emotional theta frequencies uh, and creates a frequency modulation, which is what FM radio is. FM stands for frequency modulation. It's how you broadcast music in stereo. The brain is doing that. So gamma modulating theta lifts the information right out of the brain into a wireless communication network cloud of the brain, the internet of the brain. It's mind blowing. It's, it brings me to, hang on, <clears throat> one of the laws that I suspect to be working because I see it all the time is the principle of Gedifidib. So the principle of Gedifidib is uh, God did it first and did it better. 
it's already been worked out. I mean, whatever your puny little mind thinks it can discover, the, nature has done it 10 times better and it did it, you know, 100 million years ago and perfected it already. So this concept of wireless communication in the brain is a mind blower, but it shouldn't be a surprise because the body is probably doing wireless communications with all the organs. The, the autonomic nervous system probably has a wireless network of communication with everybody too that we just haven't figured out how to measure yet. And so I'm just making that prediction because I can see the pattern. It becomes obvious that of course, if the brain's doing it, it's, it's happening everywhere. It's, it's, it's a matter of time before somebody, and then like 10 years from now, somebody will discover it and I'll say, hey, I, I predicted that. And by that time, right. who's that guy with the ponytail? I mean. <laughs> well, it's the same thing with the, the brain heart connection and yeah, things that you thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. It works in the brain gut connection. Um, yeah. yeah, sure. We can wait for science to prove it, but right. Yeah, yeah. So once again, science discovers what all the rest of us knew already for 70 years. Right. <laughs> happens over and over and over again. But yeah, yeah. But this idea that I don't have to wait for the scientific community who poo-poos this stuff in order to create brainwave entrainment frequencies in IOTA today for people who are brave enough to explore those regions of consciousness um you know join me and let's let's go on that journey together because it's not going to be bad nature doesn't make bad things uh, it doesn't make exactly. wrong decisions yeah all the things that are nested in my system and my body are harmonious it's there to expand my abilities to be happy and productive and more alive and healthier mm. right it doesn't do the opposite of that it's when those systems aren't aligned that disturbances come in and we have those as symptoms and we call that disease. But the the ultimate, I mean, you pick it a word, dis-ease, a state of non-ease. And the ultimate state of ease physiologically is zero stress in the system, zero stress. Homeostasis is the ultimate non-ease non, non state. <laughs> it's the ultimate ease which means it's the ultimate healthy. And anything that is not exactly this is dis-ease <laughs> of some level. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, after that is just a, a deepening of your connection with yourself and your world. And you have to be careful. You know, there was one of, one of the things I mentioned, Gurdjieff coming over in the 20s with all these secrets from the East. And he had a funny way of packaging it for the Western mind. So one of his sayings was, blessed is he who is completely asleep. Because they don't know. And, and, and blessed is the person who is completely awake. But woe to all the rest of us who've got our butts stuck between two bar stools. <laughs> Once your butt's off the one asleep stool, there's no going back. I mean, once you've wakened up a little bit and you've seen what's so, you can't go back. You can only go forward. And if you are afraid to go forward and you stay where you are, you're just going to drop by gravity and hit the floor. <laughs> uh, so that's why I say like waking up sucks, because as soon as you wake up, you see the suffering of the world and you realize you're part of the answer. And along with that comes 
a spiritual responsibility that you can't shuck. Your life now becomes a life of service, an empathic path with all other living things and people. <clears throat> and then you become, you start preaching. <laughs> well, and, and, and guilty. And so in your guilty. case, though, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for leaning into it and, and not ignoring it and continuing to do the work. I, I know there's, I'm sure there's periods where you'd rather not, but thank you for continuing to explore and get, getting back to the live streams and everything you're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no turning back. I mean, you ask yourself no. the question, if, if I was to win the lottery and $50 million tomorrow, what would I do? All of us would probably do the same stuff. We'd buy a whole bunch of stuff that we always wanted to have, and we'll travel all over the world and go all these cool places we've never been to. But at some point, the traveling and the money spending is over, and you're back in your mansion with the same problem you had before. What do I want to do with my life? And if the answer to that question is different than what you are doing with your life, you need to rethink. <laughs> um, and if what you're doing with your life already is aligned and it's filled with the joy, even if it's the joy of trying to help the situation as terrible as that situation is, there's a joy in it. There's a joy in stepping into your place and, and doing it. And if you had a choice, I wouldn't do anything different. I mean, I, there's no possibility of retiring. I mean, laying on a beach, I would be in mad. I'd be in a rubber room in no time. I mean, <laughs> there's no turning back from it. It's it, it's sort of like me as a composer and a musician. It's like, you know, when I'm 65, oh, it's good. I don't have to make any more music. <laughs> Or an artist, oh, now I can get rid of those paintbrushes, for Christ's sake. I don't have to do that anymore. No, it's not like that. It's... So, anyway. No, that's part of who you are, what you need to express. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for your yeah, time, for exploring this with me. I, I mean, I'm going to have to have you back. There's so much more to explore. Thank you I love so that much. Thank you. Thank Didgeridoo's you. Didgeridoo's behind you, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. I got a few. Oh my God. Yeah. Look at that beautiful thing up there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we have so our things, apropos, right? We have our things. for the sound yeah. talk. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much for what you're up to and what you're doing and all my support for you. Anything I can do to help. Thank you so, so much. I'll see yeah. you again, I'm sure. You're welcome. Okay, okay. Be well. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. You can keep up to date on what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com, on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio, Instagram, Natalie Brown, Sounds Heal. And you can watch previous episodes as well as listen to some sound meditations on the YouTube channel, Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned.